Welcome to the Fred Dojo Podcast, the place where pro guitar players share their secrets. Visit www.freddojo.com to access online courses and free resources to take your guitar playing to the next level. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Angie from fretdojo.com that's all about taking your jazz guitar playing to the next level. In today's podcast, Fret Dojo's current artist-in-residence, Carl Orr, introduces us to incredible guitarist Ian Date. Ian is originally from Australia and has played on more than 70 albums, either as a sideman or a leader. He has performed and recorded with people such as multi-instrumentalist James Morrison and legendary guitarists Tommy Emmanuel and Martin Taylor. Ian has played at festivals and events all over the world, from the South Island of New Zealand to Iceland via Asia and South Africa. Firmly rooted in the jazz tradition and equally at home on acoustic or electric guitar, critics have described Ian's playing as endlessly inventive, lyrical and always swinging. You will really get to know Ian in this fantastic interview where he shares his humble self-taught beginnings on guitar his well-rounded background in a wide range of musical genres and his unique perspective on jazz improvisation as an art form. Okay, so let's get into it. This is Carl Orr interviewing the incredible Ian Date. Nice to see you, Ian. Hi, Carl. Good to see you. Nice to be here. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. So, Thank you. Yeah, everybody has an interesting story to tell and uh, you are definitely no exception to that. So, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, looking forward to... Uh, Hearing what's behind this great music that you make. So, um, Ian, where were you born? I was born in the um, New South Wales town of Casino on the north coast of New South Wales, up near the, um, you know, in the Richmond River area, up near the Queensland border, basically, in 1960. Right. And um, my family moved around a bit and... um, I was only there for a short while, then we moved to Danoon, all around that region, basically the north coast of New South Wales, Byron Bay. Then I ended up in Maxville, where I started getting into music. So for those of our listeners who are not Australian, that's north of Sydney, isn't it? That's north of Sydney, the east like, coast of you know, in, in miles, 500 miles north of Sydney. And in those days, a good 12-hour drive to, yeah. <laughs> or more to Sydney, like you'd stay somewhere overnight because yeah. the highway was, you know, two-lane and a winding road and you'd drive through every town, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it was a real trek, you know, yeah. no freeways. How old were you when you started playing? Well, my mother was a pianist and she'd studied piano, like, for when she was younger. Went through the Sydney Conservatorium, and, you know, she did all the grades of piano in six years in those days. She was at the Conservatorium in Sydney from 1950 to 1956. So she was like a schooled musician, not an improvising musician, but she played piano and violin. And, you know, it was a, a hard degree in that, like six-year degree it was. And um, she did that anyway. She started me on the piano when I was five, but I didn't really take to it. I messed with it, but it was, you know, I couldn't, it didn't grab me. So as I got a bit older, when I was about 11, when I was kind of like an out-of-control 11-year-old, she dragged me to a music store and bought me a ukulele and said, this will calm you down. 
which I really loved that because um, at the sound of it took me in it. There's a little five minutes a day book that came with it and there were these pictures of hay bales and river boats and Hawaii and <laughs> it kind of cap- like yeah. all exotic little pic- hand-drawn pictures yeah. that really captured my imagination at yeah. that age and the, the titles of the songs, you know, that were in it and, and it was and I picked my way through that the little chord structures, and then I pestered her. I said, look, can you get me a banjo? Right. And I really liked the sound of a banjo, and I heard a bit of that. And around that time, my, that, my ear had caught Louis Armstrong. I really loved the sound of Louis Armstrong. I'd seen him like on TV and some movies and stuff, and I thought, wow, that guy is, that's amazing. You know, and I thought he was so happy. And I remember when he died, I said to my mum, Mum, the happiest man in the world just died. What are we going to do? You know, it's a disaster. But anyway, I wanted a banjo and she said, look, I'll check it out. And she said, came back to me and said, look, banjos are $70, guitars are $30. You can have a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, the, that was the outcome of that, you know. Lifestyles of the rich and famous, man. <laughs> yeah, like, so... But I got into that, you know, and um, and, and it was like nylon strung guitar I was playing. And then... How old were you? I, I was uh, 12, really, you know, when I, when I started on the guitar. And then, but I was really keen about it and I'd play it for hours and I'd listen to things and things started to catch my ear on the guitar and I'd do the classic, you know, put the coins on top of the needle to slow things down and try and figure out what was going on which was very hard I found it very hard to 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 do that for me was difficult so I'd be able to get snatches of things and what were you listening to well it was a I listened to some rock there's some Alice Cooper yeah some rock and roll things my older brother was a big influence on like his taste and he had more records and he had things like Johnny Winter yeah and stuff like the blues things, you know, and um, you know, and that kind of caught my ear. But then I was a little bit older, and uh, well, actually, that came a little bit after that. But then I, there was some flamenco music I'd heard on the TV in those days. Often there'd be a filler before that. There was only two television stations, and I remember they'd play some guitar music. Yeah, and. Um, you know, it's a little five-minute thing, you know, if the shows didn't line up like now, you know. And so, and I remember hearing Los Indios. Tabayaras, yeah. Tabi- yeah, those guys. Fascinating. You know, what's the, um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all that stuff, you know. And um, Carlos Montoya yeah. playing some flamenco. Yeah. That was like the generally the two choices that you got. Yeah. And that caught my ear, the acoustic guitar. And then I'm, and a fellow who I bumped into, he said, oh, he's an amazing guy. And um, he knew so many tunes. And he could play all the, like, the history of Western music, you know. And he knew everything. And he, and he had a great ear and he could remember the lyrics. Amazing guy. He ended up giving up all his guitars and joining a Christian cult. But that's another story. But he said to me, Oh, you're going on holiday to Sydney. You should buy some Django Reinhardt LPs. Yeah. You'd like that. Oh, right. So 
So he turned me on to that, you know. So I had a bit of that. I always liked the sound of jazz, you yeah. know. I, 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 the, the idea of, I remember that early idea of swinging music yeah. was kind of, in a way it was embarrassing, the feeling that it made in my young person. Like, oh, it feels like it's swinging. You know, it was a little <laughs> bit embarrassing, like, to feel. You know, what I mean? that's what I remember. Yeah. Oh, if someone's watching me, I'm kind of enjoying this. It's a bit embarrassing, you know. <laughs> So, which is an odd feeling, you know what I mean? See, it kind of, I couldn't help but respond to that feeling. And then uh, when I was, I got to about 14 and there was a rock band that used to play in clubs and pubs about the area. And I was still at school at this point. I'd take every Wednesday off, which was sport day. I'd wag school to stay home and play guitar. I got away with it for two years before I was caught, you know. But uh, these guys, they, they had this rock band and they asked, their guitar player was leaving and they said, would I join? Uh-huh. And I said, oh, great. You know, and the guy just gave me a pile of records and, you know, kind of came around and showed me some things. And But they were four-hour gigs or three to four-hour gigs. In the clubs, they were four hours and there was no charts and I couldn't read anyway. But uh, so it was kind of memory and ear. And um, you'd play, in those days, what they called the 50-50 band. Yeah. Which was half country and western, old-time barn dancers, the rest, what was on the radio. Mm-hmm. You'd play the pop songs on the radio the day. So you pl- you're playing old country and western songs. Old country songs. Like and, you know, what, Tennessee um, Waltz or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That kind of stuff, and I can't remember. It's so and long when you ago say now. the stuff on the radio, you're talking about Cold Chisel or yeah, Cold Chisel and AC, you know, ACDC. I remember the cut uh. right out on the sunset on your color TV screen. <laughs> so there's quite a contrast between the Tennessee Waltz and uh, exactly it was you bizarre. Know, like you shot me all taste. night long or whatever. You know, well, exactly. <laughs> you wouldn't do them in the same set, mind you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was like bizarre, you know. So you're doing this, you know, really learning on the what we would have called paying your dues, really. Kind of, yeah. I mean, there wasn't. It wasn't like it, it was a fair bit. It was once or twice a week, and then it got more and right. less sometimes. But I, there was a lot of things I liked, and and I loved the idea of classical guitar, and I wanted to study it. Yeah. And I didn't know how to do that, and then I heard there was a correspondence. You could do it via correspondence through the school. Wow. And um, which meant that you'd go to the local nunnery for some music theory lessons. Yeah. And there'd be a visiting guitar teacher that had come once every month and wow. see how you were going. And I applied for that, but the headmaster of the school wouldn't let me do it. He said, no, nah, I'm not allowing it for whatever reason, you know. So I thought, oh, okay, but not to be defeated. My mum had a lot of piano music. Yeah. And bear in mind, I couldn't, I could read like a little bit. I knew where the notes were from that early piano thing. And I thought, I'm looking at this simple piano music. I've got, you know, some of the simpler stuff. And I thought, you know, if I take all the notes on that bottom staff and make that simple 
and the ones on the top and just kind of find out where it is on the guitar and write it down on the maybe that's how I can make myself <laughs> play classical guitar so that's what I did what so you, you what you condensed the two staves into one sort of thing yeah you know and that's what classical guitar players basically do I didn't know that yeah you know and I was never a good classical player but it started a lifelong interest in like you know finger style playing with my fingers and I I always loved that guitar music and admired anyone that could ever do that not really my thing I'd love to improvise too much yeah rather than you know learn a routine and you know that was the other thing in the band with the pop songs you know I'd always want to improvise you know yeah and uh like you know you'd kind of learn the solo off the record but I would have forgotten that within a couple of weeks and was yeah. doing something else yeah know? and it's like can I go around again you know like you know what I mean? Can we extend this bit? Yeah. You know. So oh, that's great. there was a lot of jamming in those days. And I remember getting turned on to other things too. Like I remember that record. So we're in the mid-70s by now. Tony Williams' Lifetime with um, Million Dollar Legs <laughs> with Alan Holdsworth. I remember hearing that, yeah. you know. Unbelievable. And that caught my ear, but that was way beyond me. Yeah. Early Dixie Dregs. Oh, right. Steve Moore. Carlos Santana. Yeah. Loved all that. You know, there's a lot of things that caught my ear. But I always loved acoustic guitar. Yeah. And I loved jazz. So that all kind of came to a head. You know, by the time I got to the last two years of school, we, we got offered this work up in Queensland. So with this band that I was in. And this would have been about 1978. And I'd done one term of the senior years of school and all the work started two weeks before the first holiday. So I took two weeks early and I never went back to school, you know. So I left school early and I went up there and this kind of rock band and it all kind of, it was a bad timing because it was just when the idea of a disco was coming in. And that live music was getting replaced with a guy spinning records yeah. really for the first time in Australia that yeah. was happening, you know, yeah. and that's when that started. And I remember that time at the Gold Coast going to these clubs, you know, and you'd go into these clubs on in Surface Paradise and there'd be an eight or nine-piece show band, yeah. if you like. It was really something else, yeah. you know, with great players and, you know, like large ensembles and, and that all started to fade out, you know, which was a pity. So we kind of went broke and everything fell apart, one thing and another. So I went back home for a few more years and do some more practice. You know, it was on the dull. I decided that I was I could never have a job. I didn't trust anyone to be in charge of me. So when, Well, yeah. I met you in Sydney in, uh, I think it was 84, was I... 84 yeah. or maybe 85, but you hadn't been there that long, had you? No, I'd come to Sydney in 82 and um, I didn't, I, I knew like a couple of people, but not really, but I met, I, I stayed, there was a house that was in Gladesville that was shared with this hippie commune from up the coast and I lived there for a while. I met some musicians that I still know that came to that house, yeah. you know, so... You know, and that was a kind of little entry into a jazz scene. But I could, I didn't really, 
I, I didn't know any tunes and I really didn't know how to go about it. I kind of figured some things out for myself. And my ear was always, like I was always, I always loved traditional jazz, yeah. even though the guitar in it, sure, like I, didn't, I wasn't interested in, I wasn't interested in it, it, it sounding like Eddie Lang. It's, it was more the tunes and the idea of it. And, you know, my imagination was truly fired by the sounds that I was hearing. How could I get that out on the guitar, you know? And then I fell in with these guys that were way older than me and they saw that I was keen and they gave me work playing so and dancing. So who's that? Who was that? Uh, Tom, Tom Baker. Oh, Tom Baker. The, the American Tom, yeah. saxophone and cornet player. Mm. And, you know, people like through that scene, through Wonderful him. Wonderful player, know. Tom. Beautiful yeah, creator great. of melodies, wasn't he? He's a very natural an instinctive mm. musician, you know. So you real... you learn on the job, so to speak, with these. I guys. learned on the yeah. job. I auditioned for the conservatorium, but I didn't get in because right. I, my reading wasn't good enough. Right, and and I had, I tell you, for those days, partly because of my background, I'd come from a situation where that was. There was not a lot of positivity oh, as I... far as what you... It was kind of like a bullying background. Right. So I found it hard to trust people. Right. So my reactions to people, like, I, I was always looking for who's going to have a go at oh, me. Right? Well, you landed, on your, you landed on your feet with Tom Baker then. What well, exactly. Wonderful, those guys saved Encouraging me, man. man, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, like, those guys saved me. Yeah. But, you know, I couldn't... I, I, I You know, that's why I, I, the guitar was my... Sword and shield and salvation. At yeah, that point, you know, and so that was the way forward. So you know, and then from there it went on, you know, to all kinds of situations. Fordville music, um, you know, playing in kind of cabaret things, working with comedians, working with James Morrison. Yeah, and you know, starting. Did you share a house with James Morrison? I did. Uh, James North of the River somewhere. Yeah, north of the, yeah, we were in um, um, just across, Kirribilli. I went to that harbor. house and was that <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember Andrew Gander's wife, Polly? That's right, yeah. Really funny girl. And um, she said she went there and there was bags of rubbish, those traditional rubbish bags tied up and just lined up on the stairs inside oh, the house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Really Actual bags of rubbish, rubbish in the house. At least they were in that bag. <laughs> yeah. It was a hopeless, you know. Oh, we were hopeless young guys and, you know. Oh, and well, we, we were, were all like young that. guys too. What's that? We were busy young guys, mm. you know. There's a lot going on. Oh, I know. You guys were. I mean, I remember going to that place. But I remember you guys all seemed to have a love of life, shall we put it that way, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was a lot going on. You know, grab it by both hands. And, yeah. You know. So let's listen to something. Anyway, like you alluded before to your love of um, uh, classical guitar, and you've uh, got this very nice arrangement of you don't know what love is. This is on a classical instrument, right? It's on a um, it's a flamenco guitar. That one. I I was in Sydney at the time and. I borrowed that from my brother, who's also a guitar player. Yeah. I said, I want to go mess around on the nylon string guitar in this studio. Can you? And he lent me that. So. Oh, well, anyway, it's a lovely arrangement. Um, 
Anyway, let's we'll talk about it afterwards. Let's have a listen to Ian Date and his uh, wonderful arrangement of uh, "You Don't Know What Love Is." <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, that was Ian Date's uh, recording of You Don't Know What Love Is. Um, solo guitar arrangements, quite mellifluous and um, sort of classical influenced in a way and um, quite a long way from the kind of jazz that you're associated with, like with the classical influence and also the, there's quite a bit of reharmonization going on there. Yeah, there's a lot. Like I was... Over the years, I've been. I've also been inspired by some of those Argentinian guitar players, which which I can't play like they do at all, really. But uh, the, the the way they like people like Luis Salinas, um, Juan Dominguez, and the old school Annibal Arias. I've, I think those Argentinian guitar players are some of the greatest guitar players in the world, you know, and the way they address the, the nylon string instrument, often without nails, because oh, I don't right. nails, okay. you know, and, um, you know, two of those names I've mentioned are no, are no longer with us, unfortunately. I would have loved to have gone there and met them. Mm. But uh, I don't have a lot of technique on that instrument, but I like kind of drawing the sounds yeah. that I can out of it. And I like the idea of having a conversation with yourself and being a little bit contrapuntal about it. So that arrangement, I mean, is that completely, uh, do you play it note for note like that every time? No. Oh, okay. Not at all, no. It's a basic kind of, you know... It's quite I'm decorative, re- but it but it enhances the tune. Yeah, well, I'm not being strict with the melody, am I? Mm. So you know, yeah. Well, you so, play, you are actually playing the melody quite strictly, but you're playing things in between it. Exactly. If I play the melody to a tune, yeah, um, I kind of play it like I'm re- almost like I'm reading it, you know. Or, or I, yeah, I like yeah. Frank Sinatra, you know. Like if yeah. you listen to Frank Sinatra sing. What's new? You could write down how he sings it, and you'd actually have an accurate version of the melody on the paper. Absolutely, I like that kind of. That's how I play it, and, I, and a few times I've had saxophone players and trumpet players playing in my band, and they've started embellishing my melody, and I'd say, "Please don't do that. Yeah, Please yeah. just play the notes. They're yeah. there for a reason." You know exactly. Sell me the tune. Everyone wants straight wants to rush straight to dessert without having an entree or main course. <laughs> you know. I've always found a great deal of pleasure in just playing the melody. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I suppose there's many ways to you know, a lot of a lot of guys would discard melody like where's the soloing happening? You know, it's just a vehicle to cut and paste their stuff over, you know. And there's like you know what I mean, or sure. I mean, I've played more. Like I remember in the very early days, there was a lot of jamming on E minor. 
E minor, yeah. One of my favourite So when chords. I came to Sydney 10 years later, you know, and there's this kind of modern jazz and this modal way of playing, yeah. mostly rich guys, you know, working class men played tunes, rich guys got modal, you know. <laughs> and I thought, Jesus Christ, it's all backwards because the hippies that I just ran away from yeah. were doing this 10 years ago. Right. That's not for me, yeah. you know. Like, you know what I mean? It yeah. was like, uh, it was... It was uh, like I under—I kind of understood that, but it didn't interest me as much, you know. Sure. I liked having boundaries, yeah. if you like. Like that, that wasn't a totally blank canvas. And you don't play for long, do you? I mean, I listen to your recordings. The songs are quite sort of snappy and absolutely, you know, three four minutes. And I, I like that, you know. I, yeah, let's get on to something else. Yeah, and I because then it puts the. Um, the tune, the composition, where it should be, which is front and centre. And then yeah. you take that and you do your create, creative things with it, but you, like the composition is, is, is the thing, really. The tune is the thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I could play anything for 20 minutes and be interesting, you know, or 10 minutes. I, I don't know, you know. I mean, sure, at home I can amuse myself not not stopping, but whether anyone would yeah. listen to it is another question. Yeah. You know? Okay. So. Well, um, speaking of listening to you play, let's listen to another track. And this is your version of a bebop tune, a classic bebop tune, Bouncing with Bud by the great Bud Powell. Yeah. And um, you, But you're playing in a kind of, I would describe it as a manouche style. Is is that yeah, about right? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, let's listen and then talk about it. So this is um, Ian Date with his uh, manouche treatment of Bouncing with Bud. Thank you. 
Yeah, Bouncing with Bud there by uh, Ian Date, uh, Bud Powell's composition. Um, giving a minouche treatment, is, it's kind of the, the treatment of the song is sort of in a style which predates the composition, isn't it, really? Yeah. Well, that was from a concept, an album I did with my brother and a bass player in Australia, Howard Cairns, my brother Nigel. And we had a little touring trio when I'd come to Australia and I had this idea for from this album um, and I'd heard this piece by Bach, which was, um, I can't remember the German name, but it was, oh, Jesus Christ, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. It's an organ piece, you know. Yeah. And there's three bits, three parts to it, like three, like there's a bass and then, a, you know, a counterpoint bit and a melody. And I thought, you know, that would work great in the trio. So I took that and I changed the key. And then I put some chords at the end to improvise, and I came up with this idea for an album from Bark to Bud, <laughs> <laughs> and it was, and we did, you know, we did some Bark, and we did some just some tunes we'd been playing, a couple of South American things, and, but all done on the acoustic guitars on the Selma style guitars, Selma you know. Manouche style guitars. Yeah, you know, With I've always had an ear for that. The Grand Bouche or the the smaller sound hole. Have you yeah. got one with you? I do, actually, yeah. Well, I've got a copy of one. The real ones are downstairs. Who's that made by? This is made by Piers Crocker, a Sydney luthier. Oh, so it's a handmade, beautiful guitar. Yeah. Oh, I love the sound. It's quite a unique sound. It's sort of, it, it sounds a little more like a classical, like it's a steel string, but the sound inclines somewhat towards the sound of a classical guitar. Very low tension steel strings. Low tension, right. The, stop, the top is arched, yeah. like three degrees. Oh. There's a whole history of these guitars yeah. we can go on for hours with. And um, they're, they're a cutting sound, like, you know, in the days in the, in, the, in the, uh, like Europe before World War Two, you couldn't get an American-made guitar, mm. and you know there was no Gibsons for sale. Like wow. you couldn't get one. Like you know, they were very hard. So you know, this company, the Selma Company, you know, um, Mario McAferry, the original yeah. designer of this style of guitar, they started this partnership to make an like a guitar that could be loud enough to cut through. A band, you know, and then they were favoured by the, the Manouche guys, like the Gypsy players, you know. I mean, that's a whole other hour and a half discussion right there, you know, that whole history. So that's kind of where that idea came from. And they're good for, you know, when you're playing like, you know... <laughs> Exactly. I'm not hitting it that hard. I'm not not playing it hard, you know. Yeah. So they they push it out there, they project, you know. And they've got dynamics too, haven't they? That's the thing I really notice with them. 
yeah, the dynamics are really, you know, you can play very softly and then really whack it out, and everything yeah, is very articulate. Sweet. You can be. Pressing, press hard. Yeah. That pluck lightly. Yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful yeah. sound. So, yeah, that, I mean, I've always loved that music. It really spoke to me. And when I started playing it, not a lot of people were. And uh, I suppose the difference for me was, and what is different now, like when I started playing that music, it was with like in bands and like I'd be some bands I'd be in. I might be the only guitarist and some there might be me. There might be two guitars, you know. We were playing jazz. Like the idea that you were going to sit up there and reproduce Django Reinhardt solos and things, it wasn't going to work. No. Right? You had to play, you had to react to what was happening. It was a proper jazz band yeah. like Django would have done. Sure. So you take that sound and that idiom and put it into what you're doing, right? Yeah. It wasn't like doing a – like now there's a tends to be more of like, you you know, it's it's not a jazz band experience. It's a codified kind of – Yeah. There's sure, there's sure there's improvising, but it's kind of like doing the dance, if you like, sure. rather than, yeah. you know, so it's very – you know what I mean? Like yeah, we were really sure. being like Django in a way. But I like think that was the music we were playing. Yeah. And we had to respond to what was happening around. Yeah. And that's what was happening. But with that sound. So you which were is what co I like. copying his example more than in the actual. Exactly. Yeah. I was trying to get like get the code of it, decode the sure I learnt some solo things and some voicing things and bits and pieces, but I always liked the idea of jazz. I've always loved it. and it's funny how people talk about jazz but I think so. People, few people talk about improvisation, like it's like a poo-pooed thing. You know, it's all about reading the chart, man, mm. and the arrangement. And, you know, but improvisation is great. You know, and it's not. I suppose it's a dark art for many, and not as not of a commercially valuable item. You know, so. Anyone that's a great improviser in whatever idiom is to be respected, you know. I mean, to learn off a routine and stand up there and pose with a routine is one thing, but to improvise is something else. Yeah, I mean, it's some. I mean, improvisation is the sound of freedom, really, isn't it? I really it feel absolutely like is. it's like yeah. you know the. The bird, you know, gets out of the cage and flies yeah. around. That's what it always feels like to me. Yeah. That's not to say that there's no rules or it's just oh, a blank sure. page and you can spray everywhere. No, no, you no. Know. You know, like every idiom, even the freest of free musics has its conventions, sure. if you like. You know, different styles and different sounds. Yeah. Different idioms have their ways and... You know, mm. and so yeah. Excellent. So, um, you, so you play the Manouche guitars, and and you're fond of Telecasters as well. And yeah, I'm not playing so much of that Manouche stuff anymore, yeah. basically because where I live now, there's there's not really a lot of that around. Yeah, here. and you're living in Ireland now. 
I live in Ireland. My wife's a cellist and she dragged me here some years ago. And how long have you been there? 20 years or something? 18, 18 years. Yeah. And uh, my kids were born here. Yeah. So, I mean, moving to Ireland, I wouldn't say was, for me, wasn't a massive career move, but it was good for, I mean, I moved here when I was 40-odd, you know. Yeah. 41 or something. And uh, you go through different changes and phases as you get a bit older about what you're prepared to do and what you want to do. Sure. You know. Well, it's great to so, be a dad, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Well, let's listen to another track, Royal Garden Blues, a very intricate arrangement with a key change and uh, lots of nifty unison uh, passages. And uh, it's a ma- mandolin and banjo duet. Yeah. And is that you and Nigel? Or? No, that's Martin Taylor playing the mandolin. Oh, is it? Wow, he's <laughs> rocking on the mandolin. Yeah. Wow. He'd come to Australia a few times and there was a promoter in the nineties and he used to promote these things and, um, you know, and, and Wally would always get me to come and do something with Martin and, you know, and, um, we did an album one time down there for a record company, Larrikin records. Yeah. And I said to Martin afterwards, look, this is studio around from where I live. Don't you come down and we'll just mess around with some, so he came down and he played some mando cello. Oh. <laughs> and he'd just been in the United States and he'd gotten this mandolin off David Grisman, oh. giving him a mandolin. Yeah. And I said, man, I've got this banjo. It's going to be a marriage. It's going to be. <laughs> so, that's a six-string banjo. Oh, is it? Wait, you like it? Yeah. Okay, so, well, let's have a listen to this then. Royal Garden Blues. Yeah. Wonderful, uh, invigorating, bouncy tune. So uh, Royal Garden Blues, this is uh, Ian Date and Martin Taylor.
So that was uh, Ian Date and Martin Taylor with their very lively and uh, cheerful and optimistic version of Royal Garden Blues. Really wonderful. I thoroughly enjoy it. Remind me a bit. I, I used to listen to an old record of Lonnie Johnson and Eddie Lang when I was a teenager. It sort of reminded yeah. me a bit of that. Yeah. That uh, that two guitar. Well, you know, the, the two guitar thing is a thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's like having a piano it's not two orchestras colliding in the night yeah you know? <laughs> anyway that's fantastic really fascinating to to hear your story and your unique perspective on music and i always enjoy listening to play always enjoy conversing with you such a pleasure thank you carl thank you for having me so that was carl or interviewing ian date what a great show I I love how Ian is able to play with such spontaneity and creativity but still remain true to the original composition. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And if you're looking to improve your jazz guitar playing, check out our website at fretdojo.com. There's a huge range of resources and lessons online that you can access to take your playing to the next level. So that's all for today, guys. Thanks for being here and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. For lessons, resources and free stuff to take your guitar playing to the next level, visit www.fretdojo.com.